This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversation with hosts Leah Lem and Dr. Anthony Stately. COVID-19 Community Conversation is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anin, hello, I'm Leah Lem. And I'm Anthony Stately. We're back with more conversations, more explorations about how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Miigwech and thank you all for joining us. Absolutely. Well, it's great to be talking with you again. And I always enjoy these conversations because you bring such great expertise when it comes to navigating COVID, navigating the pandemic. You're the head of the Native American Community Clinic in Minneapolis and also, today we'll be speaking with an expert. We'll be joined by Kelly Miller, the director of the Department of Indian Work. And Kelly is also a COVID community coordinator with the Minnesota Department of Health. I know she was on COVID-19 community conversations uh, maybe a couple years ago now, now that we've been in a pandemic a couple years uh, and still are in a pandemic. So it's nice to have her back on. Yes. And so today we're going to be focusing on concerns from our community. Kelly Miller is one of the many great people working hard to help our communities. So we'll hear what folks are thinking while navigating this stage of the pandemic and what resources we can all share to help out with that. As we've moved through this pandemic, you know, so many hardships and like beautiful moments and all of that stuff has really made its way to the surface. And I was recently listening to the latest podcast from Dr. Olsterholm. I don't know. Do you listen to that podcast? I do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. And I catch him when he's on the news. He's a pretty intelligent guy. I really like him. Totally. So the Olsterholm update, COVID-19, from the Center of Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. And one bit that kind of popped out while Dr. Olsterholm was speaking was just this statistic that we know and we hear about, but is just being reshared and reiterated because it is so striking, is that looking back at this past year in deaths alone, Indigenous Americans are dying at a very high rate, 58 per 100,000 in that population. And that is the highest among any racial group. Yeah. Like any, or ethnic group. Yeah. And it's not even really close. So what's what's demonstrable about that are really, I think, an important thing to highlight here is that, you know, the it's we're the highest rate, but we're also one of the smallest populations, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you really look at the impact of that specific case rate, you have to realize like there's not 100,000 Native people living in the state of Minnesota. There's closer to like half that or just about maybe um, uh, two-thirds. So the actual number of people dying on um, annually is greater than 58, right? And it's greater than, and so part of it goes back to that conversation we had earlier about like what it, what it means to be like a small community with a really rich culture and a really rich history and all of these other things. And when you start to lose, you know, if you are like in a small village or you're in a small community and you lose three elders, all of them are original speakers or they know um, all the traditional stories of a, um, of a specific thing that's important in your community. To lose mm-hmm. those people 
um, it's not just the loss of their life, it's the loss to the entire community um, who love them and also a loss to like the community as it stands now, the community in the future, because those stories go with them, that knowledge goes on with them, and we haven't had a chance maybe to reap the benefits of having that those things stay in our community and stay in our families. Yeah. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. Today, we're talking about COVID-19 questions and concerns, overall issues navigating the pandemic, and what resources are there in this stage of the pandemic. And now we're joined by Kelly Miller, the Director of the Department of Indian Work. Welcome, Kelly. Bujou. Bujou, everyone. Thank you for having me. Bujou, it's good to see you. We're really looking forward to having a conversation with you and benefiting from your experience and your wisdom. You've been doing this work now for a solid two and a half years. Two and a half years, Something, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hard to believe it's been that long, right? Sometimes it feels like a really much longer experience and sometimes it just feels like it's been a blip. So kind of depending, I think, on perhaps the day anyway. Um, so one question we have for you is, how do you describe the community you serve at the Department of Indian Work at Interfaith Action of St. Paul? Yeah, so Department of Indian Work is celebrating 70 years this year. Um, so our community that we focus on and serve is the American Indian community in the East Metro. We do not turn anyone away from our services, whether they reside in Minneapolis or in a suburban area. So um, our focus is the American Indian community. Um, our families primarily reside in St. Paul. Awesome. 70 years. That's amazing, first of all. 70 years. That was our food shelf was first started in 1952. And now we are five programs strong with our food shelf, our youth program, our diabetes program, um, our one being one of Minnesota Department of Health's COVID community coordinators, and then our newest program that we're working in collaboration with a few of our core partners is building an economic mobility hub, mm -hmm. so a shared database system between three organizations. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Congratulations. So we we are here to talk about the pandemic, COVID-19. I know you've you've been hard at work in that space. Can you maybe give us a bit of an overview of how DIW, the Department of Indian Work, responded to the pandemic in the beginning, like say March 2020, and how that's evolved since and where you are today? Yeah, so um, our, we, let me say that we've never done this type of work before. So um, our primary focus is usually our food shelf, youth programs, and uh, more crisis-based services, providing those basic needs. And when COVID first happened, it was a huge need for food, right? Our families didn't have the two-week fund to stock up on two weeks of food because there were so many unknowns. So our first response was making sure that our families had the items they needed to stay home, to shelter you, you, um, to shelter in place in a sense. And then we were um, asked to open a COVID resource hotline and it kind of just fit in with the work we're doing to provide some of this information and also to distribute um, uh, 
so um, the PPE, the cleaning products. Um, at first, it was testing, and then to it moved on then to um, help hosting um, vaccination clinics in partnership with NAC or Indian Health Board or you know the state. So that's where it um, how it first started. <laughs> Yeah, you actually hosted a couple of events with the Native American Community Clinic, and those were really successful um, uh, partnerships. Super successful, yeah, super successful <laughs> yeah. partnerships, and we are really grateful for you for that. And um, you know, um, so I, I think that speaks um, tremendously to like the innovation that Indigenous people do. You know, when we kind of in our community, when we see a problem, we find an issue and we 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 know like, well, we have this asset and you have that resource and like two together, we can kind of, um, we can um, tackle this problem and and, and, um, and and get it taken care of. Or if we don't have, we need another partner, we, we find those things and we kind of build, uh, build the, the ability to sort of respond. And that's been, I think, one of our innovations. It also is remarkable to me that like, Across Indian country, not just here in Minnesota, but across Indian country, many, many tribes and many, many tribal communities developed a fairly rapid response system to COVID testing and um, and vaccination fairly rapidly. And in some places and spaces, um, did a better job of it than the local public health systems. Thanks for that, Anthony. Um, Kelly, I'm wondering, when you have these events, when you're interfacing with the community, is there, what are you hearing from people about the pandemic? Is there a general sense from people or is there just widely variable feelings about where we are in the pandemic, how the pandemic um, has treated, you know, has treated them and their community? Um, it's all across the board. So even in, within our um still uh, with our food shelf. So a lot of the information we push out to our families, um, we have access to our families because of our the our other services we offer. And now that we are open, um, we still require people to wear masks when they come into our space. And a lot of people, well, why? Why do I have to wear a mask? The pandemic's over, COVID's over. And it's like, no, it's really not over. Or I just had COVID two weeks ago. I can't get it again. Or I don't need the new vaccine because um, I just had COVID and I'm immune now. I built up I built up that immunity. And there are other people on the other side that decide not to get vaccinated at all because um, of the vaccines were, were made. They rolled out too quickly. How do they develop a vaccine right away? Um, it's really all across the board. And then you have people that are in full support of it that are, you know, the cheerleaders just like us, like, hey, the new booster's coming out. We're hosting an event next week. You can come get $50 incentive. This is where we'll be. If you need transportation, we can help you. Um, so it's really all across the board. And I think in the very beginning, um, it was, we were vaccinated very quickly because we were considered frontline workers, our team was. So um, then when other, when the, um, when other family members were able to be vaccinated, like, oh, you're okay. You didn't grow a tail or you didn't grow, oh, get sure. really sick or, you know, your arm's not really swollen or, you know, I'll, I'll get vaccinated then. So it's also kind of mm -hmm. that um, model of showing people like, okay, I got vaccinated. I'm already boosted. You know, I, yes, I had COVID once, but it was just like a common cold. And then it's like, oh, maybe I should get vaccinated then. So if I don't get really, really sick, like my uncle, 
who got super sick and ended up in the hospital, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of um, as well being more personable with it with our families as well and being that trusted source so that they can, you know, trust us for the information and um, kind of g- bringing that personal experience to it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. That's, I mean, it's good to acknowledge that there's just a wide variety of opinions and where people are. I want to dig in on one little thing because I keep hearing it over and over again. All my little podcasts I listen to, big and little, (laughs) is that people feel like the pandemic is over. And I know that there have been announcements from politicians in power and things like that, that kind of, it feels like it throws a, throws us off a little bit when there's competing information on between, you know, the World Health Organization and then, you know, um, people in the States here. Do you know where people are getting that, that idea that the pandemic is over? Do you know? Um, I have personal opinions on that. Okay. Um, I think there's, a, here's a couple. Um, one, that we've been in this, what, two years, Anthony, you said? So two and a half, two and a half years. I think people are tired of hearing about COVID and tired of hearing about the pandemic. So um, you kind of, in a sense, like it just becomes regular background noise, mm-hmm. right? Um, two, I know through us at DAW, we've distributed over 3,000 at-home tests. Um, So those tests are not being reported. There's Mm. no way to self-report if you have COVID. Mm -hmm. So if you are a household of four and you test positive, well, there's that data is not being entered in anywhere. So I think it's just becoming really um, kind of background noise to people. And it's not on the forefront of the news anymore like it was a year ago. Mm. Like these are the numbers now. This is how much it's increasing. I mean, even with some of the communications coming out through MDH, you're not, I'm not seeing that constant um, push about it. So I think that people are assuming it's over or it's just going to be like a a regular flu, right? It's just going to be around. COVID's going to be around with us. It's going to be something we're going to have to do yearly with the vaccine or you know, whenever they need to update, but um, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it's over at all. And because maybe the state and CDC keep changing guidelines Mm -hmm. on now um, quarantining, you know, when you test positive, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to stay home this many days versus what it was before. So those are my thoughts. (laughs) Please, um, (laughs) Dr. Anthony, if I am wrong. Or on the total different path, I would love to have your opinion. Well, no, I mean, I think that's probably accurate. I think that's, people get, I mean, COVID fatigue is a real thing. People are getting tired of hearing about it. They're getting tired of sort of kind of having to live with the, you know, um, with all the burdens that COVID comes along with, having to mask, having to wash their hands. All that stuff was really like psychologically overwhelming for quite some period of time. And then to have to do that and then also like if you are one of those people that sort of kind of took very, very um, uh, extreme measures like the, you know, like, you know, doing everything that you possibly could do that was recommended. Um, And then you're living in a community or you're living in an area where a lot of people aren't doing that, that can cause all kinds of like, you know, psychological dissonance, I think, for for an individual. It's like, well, why am I doing my part and other people aren't doing their part? Or, you know, 
um, for younger people, particularly like teenagers and like kids, I think sometimes socially they feel awkward. Like if I'm the only one in the school that's wearing a mask, like I feel like I stand out, right? It's a little bit like having to wear the dunce hat, you know? And I think some of that has real true psychological and emotional consequences for us. And so we, um, we, we, we might have to sort of kind of do like emotional and psychological Olympics with that material, right, and try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the other things that happens also is that, you know, people have a deep, deep desire to um, go back and revert to the things that made them comfortable, right? Like we as human beings, we want to be comfortable, right? Um, there's, and, and, and if I can be so bold, Americans specifically, we like to be comfortable. Um, and you know that's why we drive big, huge trucks, and the rest of the world drives little tiny cars. <laughs> um, uh, but I think part of it is is like you know, as human beings, we seek that, like you know, and and within the broader context of so many other challenges that come along with the pandemic, inflation, um, less ability to 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 do things like travel and go on vacation and all those other things, it becomes it, it's a, even the burden becomes even heavier. Right. And so as human beings, we're sort of kind of, you know, structured to sort of like seek comfort and seek pleasure and try to figure out a way to cast off the burdens. Right. Um, It's a little bit of who we are as human beings. So some of that is at play, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I I know I know we're here to talk to Kelly, but I just need to (laughs) interject with COVID fatigue. I know I have been reporting on COVID since almost day one and having comfort. I'm just going to flip that around and say, I am on three different steroids now for long COVID. And it is the opposite of comfort. It is the opposite of, I'd rather have COVID fatigue than fatigue from COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, we are we can distance ourselves so much until it's affecting us our pain in our joints tightness in our lungs mm-hmm. chronic you know tightness in your nasal cavities and you're trying to host a radio program and having to turn your mic off all the time so you can cough so it's this that <clears throat> we don't realize that we are trying to be comfortable and then causing discomfort in the process so it's just, it's a complicated thing that I think is just good to kind of keep talking about it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I think one of the things I just want to sort of like, um, uh, earlier we were talking about data and I think it's really an important thing to think about. Um, I think like last week when I was looking at data, um, nationally we're still looking at somewhere around 200, 300 deaths per week um, across the nation. Um, from COVID. And I just want people to recognize that like 300, 200 to 300 deaths per week in a year, that's like about 100,000 people, between 75,000 and 100,000 people. That's, that's not insignificant. Um, you know, that's more than the number of people that die from some, um, some very common ailments that we have in our society. And so I think it's really important that we not lose track of that and recognize that 
We are probably in this for quite a while, and some um, some of the news reports that I've heard recently, and the updates from people like Dr. Osterholm, is that you know there's some subvariants out there that are still really quite good at evading um, the some of the um, older vaccines, and even some some of the new parts of the bivalent um, vaccine is designed specifically to address those subvariants that are very tricky. Trickster virus. It's a trickster <laughs> virus here. We're dealing with. Mm. Yeah, a, a virus that has spirit to be respected. That's one thing that I learned from a lot of these conversations too um, with our native relatives is having respect for the virus. Oh, absolutely. And when I call it a trickster virus, I'm not saying that to just to be funny. It's I think like mm-hmm. when, when I think of like what what role a trickster has in our lives as indigenous people mm-hmm. is the trickster shows up to sort of like um, make us pay attention to something. It, it, it shows up to remind us about something important, like you know what it means to be a good relative. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's designed to give us a lesson, right? I think there's some opportunity here for us to do that. Well, Kelly, Department of Indian Work has been a part of the COVID-19 community coordinators with the state of Minnesota. Uh, can you talk about what you learned about the needs of the community that you serve the the needs now? First of all, we learned a lot. Um, I think we knew what the needs were beforehand. Um, the needs are were always there, right? Mm-hmm. Our community is a community that has generational trauma and also can be in poverty in a sense, you know, right? So it's, they the needs were there, the ho- needs with housing, the needs with um, food insecurity, the education educational disparities, the health, um, the health disparities, they were there. I feel that COVID brought those more to the forefront. And, you know, it really kind of made us, like you said, step back in a sense, like even to what we were doing in our work in our emergency or in our food shelf response, it was more, we used to be okay, only three days worth of food. That's all we can, you know, mm. do because of budgeting or because of guidelines and then COVID happened and it was like, well, if you need food, you need food. We're going to give you whatever you need. And it really changed how we responded as well, even in other program areas of our COVID response work. So regardless, if you already came once before, you're still, you're welcome to come as needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And also employment. A lot of our families were put we're no longer working Mm -hmm. and their children, you know, even um, I think of our youth program, we switched from in-person to online Mm -hmm. and that, you know, you get Zoom fatigue. I'm (laughs) kind of tired of Zoom meetings all the time back to back, (laughs) right? Like now you're starting to go more in-person, but you have to get used to the drive time now, but it's, it's a lot. So kids were, you know, in Zoom and they were at home and their learning environment was different. So, Maybe they didn't learn well with their other sibling on a different call for school and the baby crying and mm-hmm. the mom trying to work, right? All living in a, a smaller apartment or a house. So I think the needs, we knew the needs, right? We we, we know the needs of our community and how can we help? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just put more of a bigger spotlight on that. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think one way of like sort of kind of 
rephrasing that is like my perspective is that like some of the conditions that were true about our community, the challenges that we had, and like you know our um, um, and jobs and poverty and economics and you know um, you know uh, the health conditions that we had in our community and mm-hmm. a bunch of other things that those things all got exacerbated within the context of a of a, of a pandemic where we were. Had didn't have access to a lot of the things that we would normally have access to, um, even as thinly spread as those things were in our community, they became even more, more, um, less available. And so then people really started to suffer. Also, not only were people suffering, we started to see people get seriously ill, end up in the hospital, uh, hospital and die. Um, and you know the data in Minnesota is really clear. Like Native people got sicker um, more often seriously ill, hospitalized and died at a much more rapid rate and more frequently than other races in the state. Um, and that scale of loss and that scale of suffering in our community that was has sort of kind of always pervasively been there um, just got amplified within the context of, um, you know, of COVID. Mm-hmm. I want to flip that too. I mean, that's a great point. But now that you're saying that, you know, all those those needs that were there, that became more obvious. What strengths did you find that have been there that really came out to in all their glory? Um, I think that us as a community or even as the organizations that serve the community, I think of like our team and the work that we do together, like DIW and NAC, just to host these events, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is a huge strength. We've never worked with NAC before in any sense of, you know, hosting um, a vaccine for the flu or any of, you know, the health um, area. So being able to coordinate and collaborate to meet a need in the community is was really powerful to see. And also just that the strength we have as a community, I think, um, that to make sure that we take care of each other. So we, when we heard a family is sick and then they have to quarantine, okay, well, what can we do to help them? Mm-hmm. Can we bring them food? Can we bring them medicines? Can we bring them cleaning supplies, like give them masks? Can we be there for them, you know, to help them um, make sure that they have what they need for school? Like um, just to keep the kids busy. I think that that was really awesome to see. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I remember I'm trying to think back to like the earliest days like of the pandemic when it was first starting to happen. I remember all of a sudden the clinic had to close down. We had to like pivot. We had to move everything to like online therapy and medical sessions overnight. But what was really amazing was like, you know, when remember back in the beginning when there was practically no masks at all? Like, you know, somebody on the planet was hoarding all these masks, right? And, um, you know, turns out it was all, um, you know, due to red tape, you know, like, you know, systems not talking together, not working together. And I think what was amazing about our community is like people sewed masks, beautiful masks that look like ribbon skirt material and stuff like that. They started dropping them off at the clinic and dropping them off at other locations like DIW and all these places like get let's get masks out to our community and our families because there's none out there to purchase and nothing's being distributed, right? So in lots of ways the beauty of our community is that we came together and we solved just really really fundamental problems and challenges together through really, you know, 
the way that we've always solved everything in our community. We brought the the, the best and the brightest and the most, um, you know, um, the most amount of beauty as relatives to this conversation and to this crisis. And we responded with, you know, what we know best is, you know, bring our medicine, bring our love, bring our commitment to one another. And we got some stuff done, which was really beautiful. Hear, hear, Anthony. (laughs) So, Kelly, do you think that there's something that if if you could address the community at large all at once, what would you encourage someone to do to help get through the pandemic? Oh, great question. Um, first, I'm going to encourage families to continue their precautions on vaccinations, hand washing, masks, stay home if you're sick, and also to lean on one another, right? Lean on the people, you know, have your support group and lean on them when you need it. It's can be, it was very lonely at times in the pandemic. And we still have some of our elders and families that call in that, you know, will end up talking to us for a half hour because they're just lonely and that we're really in this together in a sense. Um, and we are here to help. There are people that are here to help you mm-hmm. um, get through this with whatever is happening, whether you're struggling with mental health, your health, your food, your kids just need a listening ear that um, we're a community that cares about each other. And we, um, we we're here. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Kelly Miller, I really appreciate you taking time to chat with us today. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Awesome. Thank you for listening today, Chimi Gwich. Again, Kelly Miller is the director of the Department of Indian Work and is a COVID community coordinator with the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Anthony Stately. And I'm Leah Lem, Gigawabaman, and I wish you health. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.